As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. So yeah, if you've got you know seven to eight figures of investable income and you need some pros to help you manage it, these are the guys to call. Yeah, I uh, hopefully I have that problem someday. You know, we were discussing seven or eight, like nine or ten. We'll have to ask if they do nine or ten. Yeah, how ma- how much is nine figures? I don't know. That's something that hasn't been relevant to me in yeah, my as, life I, yet. Hopefully, I find out someday. Yeah. Uh, as always, though, uh, thank you so much to the Norden Group of Salt Lake for their for their support of the podcast. Give them a call. Uh, you know, they're the guys you want on your side. Investment advisor services offered through Townscore Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townscore is not affiliated with any other named entity. So lots to talk about this week. Um, off the bat, want to give a shout out to uh, Jamerson Kent, third place at Cross States, finishing on the podium with some really, really, really quick guys. Uh, we saw the return of Vanderpol to Cross. Uh, had a nasty crash with uh, Pidcock uh, on uh, was it Saturday? He had the crash and then he came back today, I think, and and beat uh, Van Art. Interesting stuff there. Um, Can I interrupt and ask a question about Vanderpool? Whatever happened yes. about him at Worlds oh, where, where he got like, arrested thing? or something for uh, beating up some noisy he, kids? He paid a f- well, we allegedly um, he paid a fine and then they let him leave. And I don't think the Australian government's going to try to get him like extradited from the Netherlands. Um, you know, it was basically for those of you who aren't aware don't remember uh it was like the night before world championships and vanderpool who was i think one of the betting favorites if not the betting favorite to win the race there were some kids who were doorbell ditching him or something and and harassing him and then he loses his temper and uh supposedly some kind of assault happened i mean remember like legally speaking assault can mean just touching somebody without permission so um, I don't think Vanderpool like beat up a couple of kids. Because he's a cyclist, he probably can't. Vanderpool could. Have you seen him? He's a monster. Oh, he, okay. He's a monster. <laughs> Vanderpool could send you to the hospital. Chris Froome couldn't. Um, uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, but he's he's had a knee and back trouble, and uh, this was his first race back in a minute. Um, didn't end up racing at Worlds. Kind of had a disappointing. I think by his standards, a disappointing year. Left the tour early. Things didn't go well for him there. Um, and then we saw this really nasty little crash uh, following Pidcock. I think Pidcock was following him when it happened. Um, then he came back. He did a Zwift ride that night. Next day, came back and, uh, you know, he started fourth row. And by the end of lap two or three, he was he was clear in the lead. And uh, Van Aert came, came through for second. Pidcock had a rough day there. But uh, go watch Cross if you don't. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's my favorite thing to have on in the background of a party instead of a football game. I think it's way more engaging and fun. And I notice you have it on when you're when you're doing 
when you're on the trainer quite yeah, a bit? So, uh, quite, quite a bit I, sometimes. I don't actually do that, but I've heard it's kind of motivating to watch your race. Well, I you... think it's more motivating than like the MTV like music videos that you watch some weird stuff on the trainer. No, the MTV, the music videos is like the greatest pro training tip ever. Yeah. I, I, I will believe you when I hear that from a pro. Um, but today we, we've got kind of a fun one. I'm going to go over some Christmas present ideas for cyclists. Dan, well, I was just saying we have, we have half a fun one. Yeah, I was going to say my really part's not that much fun. Um, this is kind of an eat your vegetables episode for Dan's part. Um, this is really useful information. It's very confusing and convoluted. No, um, no, it's not. Some well, it, it is. is. It, it is. Can, and the thing is, it can be, but I've worked really hard to make this a little more simple. So, yeah, USAC and, and UCI kind of points information there. Before that, though, um, we we have kind of a, an, an exciting thing that will be going on this year for Maybird Riders. Um, uh, super, like, how would you even describe? Gabe Norda, if you don't know the name, is one of the cyclists that I respect the most. You would agree, no? Yeah. And his dad, Troy, his, his, I mean, we're, our families are good friends. You know, Andrew rode with Gabe a lot. Troy's probably Maybird, one of Maybird's biggest recruiters. Um, Gabe, when, you know, when he was a Nike racer, just a huge legend, did Bear Devo. He Everested. He just kind of, he basically just swept Nike. Swept Nike. He just barely returned from an LDS mission and uh, will be riding with the team to some extent this year. Yeah, he's going to ride and race with the team. But he also, you know, he wants to coach a few kids. And um, if if there's anyone out there that's been thinking about actually being coached, I would wholeheartedly recommend Gabe. Um, you can you can reach him through Instagram. Just DM mm-hmm. him, Gabe Norda. Um, I just think that, yeah, we just wanted to give him a quick shout out. I have to say there are a lot of people that will offer to train you and that will try to take your money for training. Um, I, I tend to be skeptical of a lot of them. Gabe is not one. Gabe, Gabe is somebody I would pay to train. Yeah. Me. I'd, yeah um, I'd like he Gabe is, to train he's me, legit. So. He's, he's also like the nicest guy ever. So, yeah. uh, you can find him on Instagram. Probably be the easiest way to get in touch. Uh, send him a message and, uh, yeah, go, <laughs> Go, go win some races. I'm sure whatever he charges is more than worth it. And before you try to weasel out of it, Dan, I, I do have another quiz for you. Um, the perennial, perennially popular We Quiz Dan and see uh, how much his bike knowledge extends past training and VO2 max and mitochondrial density into the parts of cycling that don't matter. Um, see, I'm only concerned with the things that make you faster. I'm only concerned with things that are interesting, um, but maybe it's that I'm not smart enough to be interested in that stuff. Uh, we have a lot to go over this week, so this one will be quick, but I do think it's interesting to see how closely you pay attention. I don't expect you to know every pro cyclist, but there are a few I do expect you to know, and there are a few basic things I do expect you to know about them, like what bike they ride and what bikes they have ridden. Okay. So I'm going to give you a handful of, uh, I'll, I'll do five professional cyclists here and we'll five? see. Five? It'll wow. be quick. This will be quick. I'm, I want to see if you can name what bikes they've ridden. And we'll start with uh, Peter Sagan. Okay. What bike brands has he been with? So he rode a mountain bike and then he rode... Play a, along, Dan. Uh-huh. Come on, play along. Okay. I know I know he rode a Specialized on, on the road. Right. Okay. And, 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 and I think mountain. on a mountain bike too, because I remember he had that cool one for the Olympics that changed colors. Right. Which I actually saw in person myself. 
Yes, that day that Peter Sagan came and just absolutely stomped the pro field at the midweek. Yeah, I got to ride in circles behind him on the parking lot in a really creepy way. So There you go. Uh, He has been with one other bike brand. Actually, the bike brand he became famous with is not specialized. I have no idea. You have no idea? You don't don't remember this? Is it Orbea? No, it's Cannondale. Oh yeah, I knew that. He was on Canada. That's right, because he did that video. He did the video with, with Marco Fontana. Yeah, that, like okay. yeah, uh, yeah. So he originally started with Specialized, went to Cannondale, and then um, back to Specialized, where he is currently. Okay, uh, next one for you. We will do uh, uh, Julian Absalon. Oh yeah, that's easy. BMC. BMC. But yeah. again, became famous with another bike brand. Do you remember? There are two. Nobody knows. I don't know. Oh, people know. So Orbea is one of them. And then before that, he was with, famous for the one color they do on all their bikes. Oh, Bianchi. Bianchi. Okay, because he's from France. Bianchi's Italian. Um, <laughs> but as we all know, France and France Italy, and Italy are, are really close together and their food tastes similar. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you're such a well-rounded person. Let's do a couple more. I'm, I'm having fun here. Uh, Chris Froome. Okay, Chris Froome. Um, he does Pinarello. Correct. Yeah. yeah. He, he may have done others. I'm not aware of Chris from riding any other bikes. Uh, we'll do uh, uh, Yolanda Neff. Okay. I do know this one. She's Trek. Trek currently. Well, that's all that matters. Really. No, I'm, I'm interested. Again, well, was this she is, Cannondale before? No, no. Became famous with uh, another bike company. There's two more that I'm aware of, at least in her professional career. I think You're, I've done really well so far. You've done okay. So the first one was Giant. Oh, she was with Liv. Um, and then uh, in between, she was with a tiny Swiss company called Stockley that no one's ever heard of that somehow got her and Matthias Flückiger. Okay. They could probably get Flückiger now, given that he destroyed his career with doping. And one more, Nino Schurter. See, I've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, obviously, that's Scott. Near as I can tell, that's the only bike he's ever ridden. Okay been with scott forever so that's a fun one as always please send me quiz questions for dan uh it's it's pretty easy to come up with stuff to stump him and watching dan be stumped on air is fun um i think uh, jumping into uh christmas presents should we should we go for go for that because this is what really matters right the this holidays, will be fun the holidays are coming up and uh you and the other shaved legged individuals in in your life um, are all collectively panicking over what, what do you buy for the cyclist, right? Cause you couldn't buy them something non-cycling related because you know, that's the only interest all of us have. Right. Um, and if you're a parent listening we talked to this, about that though, we talked, I don't think that's good, but okay. you've been in that situation, right? You know, um, and it's harder, the longer people are in cycling, the more stuff they collect. But I have 10 items and I'm interested to get your thoughts on these two down 10 items that I think would be fun for cyclists. And we're going to go from cheapest to most expensive. Okay. Fair enough. Um, the first out, out of the gates, um, we actually have a couple of these. The first idea is, uh, is the Lazine Femto rear light. Um, a tiny little, like, like the size barely bigger than like a chapstick thing. Um, super, super basic runs on a watch battery, not really powerful. I wouldn't recommend using it all the time, but it's winter. If you're going to be riding your mountain bike out on the road or something, or, um, you know, trying to take advantage of the limited light that we have, I would recommend having one in your back pocket that you can throw on. Just make yourself a tiny bit more visible for cars. See, I actually like when, when the fall season comes around, I actually put a tail light on my bike, like, and I just leave it there. Right. Because you never know when a ride's going to go long and you end up riding back and it gets a little dark and you become 
hard to see. I mean, it weighs like nothing. Right. And this is one, this is like, does it have to be lasagna or can it just be a rear taillight? Any rear taillight, this particular one I put in because it's 14 bucks. Okay. And it's like, it's not rechargeable. It's very basic. Runs on like a watch battery. Right. But this is like an itty bitty, teeny tiny one that you can either keep on your bike, throw in your pocket and just as your like emergency light. Now, if you're going to be riding into the dark frequently, I'd recommend spending a little more. I happen to like Lasign lights. They're not the only good lights out there. And the rechargeable ones are really nice. Rechargeable ones are nice, but like this is like a fun stocking stuffer. Like a little emergency light. The next one I would throw out is the Swiftwick Aspire 7 sock. Um, I can't say enough good things about these. They're a little expensive, $20 a pair, but they're incredibly light and soft and comfortable in the last like two seasons. Um, I would recommend the seven length to maximize fashion points. Um, And I would say on socks, like maybe even merino wool during the winter might be a good gift idea. Yeah, and Swiftwick actually does those too. They are called the i totally forget but uh any merino wool sock i think they're i don't like them in summer they're a little thicker than i'd prefer to wear but in the winter if you're gonna be riding outside uh merino socks make a huge difference um the next one i throw out and i don't have a specific recommendation here per se is just a a nice multi-tool um this is something and we'll say this again with the team meeting coming up at the beginning of the year if you're riding with Maybird, you need to have the basics on you. And a lot of people I know either have like an old crappy multi-tool that's all rusted out or, or whatever, a big bulky one that weighs as much as a baseball. Um, uh, there, there are a few, like Lazine does one, like the Super V. This, this show's not sponsored by Lazine, by the way. Um, that's like a really tiny flat one that you can you can keep in your pocket. That's everything you need. Um, do you have any multi-tools you've particularly liked over the years? You know, I have liked Lazine. I think most of Lazine stuff's kind of overpriced for what it is, but I have liked their multi-tools. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. But their multi-tools are nice because they, they fold so flat. Um, really like, you know, uh, you can kind of minimize yeah. bulk in your pockets. Um, that's a fun one. Kind of fun Good to unwrap. Good stocking stuffer. Great stocking stuffer. The next one going up a, a little bit more. What number are we on? Uh, this this was number three. I'll number go three. I'll go fast. Don't worry. This is way more entertaining than what you're talking about today. So... No, I just like knowing what number we're on. It kind of adds the Dave Letterman element to it. Okay. A uh, number four, uh, number four, this is one that I resisted for a long time, uh, is a bar bag. Um, I thought these were for douchey hipsters until I actually tried one, and I, I get it. I still don't think that bar bags belong on road bikes, especially road bikes where somebody slaved over making it super aerodynamic and then you stick this giant bag on the front of it that negates all that. Um, but there's there's a brand called Restrap that makes one called the Restraint Canister Bar Bag. Uh, I have it, seventy five bucks, a little expensive, but I think it is superior to a saddle pack. You can you can access things while you're riding. I like to keep my food in there. Um, you know they're really nice, really well made. It'll last for you know fifty years. So I can confirm this. I actually have been borrowing Jacobs. He doesn't listen to this podcast, so he won't know. He won't know, right? Yeah, we could but, say anything, and he'd never find out. But I've, I actually, I mean, I would never, I wouldn't be caught dead with it in an XC race or on a hard. No. But like when I go out for like a six-hour ride, or you know, if you're doing like point to point or mm-hmm. True Grid or something, they're surprisingly great for easy access to like food yes. and stuff. And it's nice because I hate wearing backpacks. I try to avoid, avoid wearing backpacks as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you're getting ready for like a like an eight-hour mountain bike ride, you just get so much in your jersey pockets. And it's just nice to be – and it starts to get hard to find stuff and access right. stuff. I found the bar bag is really pretty handy to 
to grab stuff. Right, because like, like you it. never need to get like a tube out of your pocket while you're riding. You're stopping anyway. I because I like to store food in mine. You know, yeah. it's, it's way way easier to get. I end up eating more uh, when I have one. And again, the, there are a lot of them out there. The one I really like, and it, it's a little on the pricey side as bar bags go, but it's that restrap one we've been using. Seventy five bucks. I think you can only buy from them directly, maybe on Amazon. Um, restrap.com but again restrap canister bar bag so I was thinking of getting it for people but I didn't realize it was 75 bucks so yeah maybe. I don't know if there's anybody in my life that I care about enough to spend 75 yeah. bucks on likewise right <laughs> uh, the, the, this next one I think you should have anyway uh, but I'd say a torque wrench um, if you're not familiar a torque wrench is a tool that allows you to measure how tight you're, you're tightening something um, this is important because most of us use carbon fiber bicycles and a lot of us use carbon fiber components on those bicycles and if you haven't done this yet, um, you, I, I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story. I took home a Factor 02 right when it first came out, and I was adjusting the seat post on it, a $400 seat post, and I was in a rush, didn't have a torque wrench, and I was tightening it, over-tightened it just a little bit, and cracked this $400 seat post. Um, torque wrenches aren't cheap. Uh, the one I would recommend is, is the feedback sports one. It's 80 bucks right now on, um, uh, bike bling.com. Um, but I guarantee that whatever you spend on a torque wrench is cheaper than fix it or than like uh, replacing the carbon fiber component you crack by over tightening, throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, and I've seen people break carbon handlebars because yep. they've over tightened components on them. So, yeah. And even if you're using like a dropper post, there's still a recommended torque and you can over tighten a dropper post. So your post dropper post won't work. Yeah. yeah. Your, some dropper posts won't work if you mm -hmm. over tighten them. And like all your, like all the different components on your bikes, a lot of times will actually show mm -hmm. how, how much torque, how much they torque want. you're supposed to torque them. So, and, yeah. and a lot of them, it's surprisingly low, like, like shockingly low. Um, use that, use carbon paste, watch a GCN or YouTube video to learn a little more. But yeah, I'd, I'd throw out um, a, a torque wrench. The next one is a nice pump. This is, this is underrated because it's kind of like when you talk about helmets, all helmets do the same thing, right? You know, they protect your head. All pumps do the same thing. But um, having a nice pump that will last a long time um, is, is underrated, I think. And I would actually say having a digital pump if you're a mountain oh, biker. Like once you've used a digital pump, you can't go back. Right, so on the road bike, road bikers out there will know that the difference between 80 PSI and 85 PSI in your road tires is big, you can tell. The difference between 20 and 25 PSI in your mountain bike tires is enormous. And it's really hard to gauge if you're using an analog pump because most pumps are designed to go up to like 150 PSI, right? It's really hard to gauge with those. Um, whether you're at 21 or 24 PSI, and that can be like a huge deal. Um, digital pumps, usually about a hundred bucks. We have one from Synchros that we like. Um, I, I throw out, I like Lazine's What pumps. were the Shimano ones that we used to use? Oh, Pro. Yeah, the, uh, the Pro. Pro, Pro is Shimano's component brand. They make, I mean, lots of people do. Honestly, any any uh, digital pump I, I think will do. The one thing I would say about like a digital pump is I would try to always inflate your tires with the same pump. Because gauges yes. can vary. Gauges do vary, yeah. But I think just having a digital pump that's consistent um, is is like you know, like I said, hundred bucks that you won't regret spending. Um, bumping up from there, uh, this is one I think we probably discussed. What a number little we bit. on? Uh, gosh, what are we on? Nine, eight, seven. Number seven. Uh, I found Wahoo Element Roams are one hundred ninety nine bucks on Amazon. I won't jump into this too much. I like Wahoo a little more than Garmin right now. Uh, you have an Element Roam, don't you? Yeah, I love my Roam. Excellent. Super easy to use. Wahoo computers run off your phone, so you, if you want to change anything, their app is really simple. 
I have a Garmin and it's fine. I have a 130. I really like it. Um, if I was going to buy another computer, I'd probably buy a Wahoo. I think they're easier to use. Um, you know, they're usually a little on the pricey side, but this was like a pretty significant deal. So uh, look up Element Roam on Amazon for 199 This next one is a repair stand. Uh, and this is one we kind of held out for a little while before getting a repair stand. We'd have our bikes flipped upside down in the garage or hang them on a door frame or whatever to work on them. Um, I think having a nice repair stand is, is one of those things that you'll just never be like, oh man, I wish I hadn't spent the money on this, you know. Uh, I would throw out Feedback Sports. Um, they have one called the Ultralight Stand, $207 at REI right now. Pretty good deal. We've had feedback stands for a long time and they're like indestructible. Super, super high quality. Yeah, especially for the price because they're not quite as much as like the park ones. And the... I like it more than the park one. I've used the park one. I've used a lot of them and feedback is far and away my favorite. I think they're the way to go. Uh, next one, uh, going up uh, price a little bit here. I found a really good deal on the Wahoo Kicker Snap. I'm not going to go into this in detail. I did a whole episode on trainers. Um, the Kicker Snap is a is the trainer that I used for like six years. Wheel on option, super reliable. Two ninety nine right now at BrandCycle.com. And then I'd throw in like a cool gift idea if you're a parent and you have a kid who's getting into this is like do a Kicker Snap and then you can buy from Zwift like little cards that are like a code you can scratch off for a three month membership. Um, those are like, I think it's 15 bucks a month for Zwift right now. Not included. I should say, I'm just saying you could like a fun gift idea would be getting the trainer and then, um, a Zwift membership to go with it. Uh, if you need more information on trainers, listen to that episode to reach out. And then the last one, this is, this is your favorite, Dan. This is one that we, we, how long ago? I'm trying to think it's the Normatech recovery boots. Um, you're kind of a Normatech evangelist now, right? Yeah, and and I think they used to be a lot more expensive than they are now. I think they've mm-hmm. they they have a new model that just came out, and I think it's about three hundred dollars less than the older model. But I think it's actually a lot better and nicer. Is that the one we have? Yeah. So it's, I'm seeing seven ninety nine on their site. Um, if you're not familiar, it's basically like a big pant leg that you put your leg into and you zip up. And it's a bunch of air pockets that fill up and, and, and almost do like what a massage is supposed to do. Well, right? basically, yeah, it kind of like starts squeezing at your toes and then it keeps squeezing up your leg gradually. And it, um, you know, it's designed to kind of increase the circulation in your legs and, and move the blood towards the center of your body, basically. I kind of rolled my eyes when you bought those. They're amazing. This is the only time we see Jacob now. So he'll come after a whole day on his feet at the hospital. He'll come and like, you know, do an hour in the Normatech boots and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, you know, we'd like to talk about this more in another episode, but one thing I can say about my Normatech boots is I really don't use them for cycling as much as I just use them for, for life. life. Right. Like if you're yeah. out on a job site all day, like come yeah, home and using those. If I'm on my feet a lot all day, it just, it just destroys me. I feel like garbage. And I'll come and put those things, you know, like walking around, I just feel heavy. Or after like a long drive. I'd say if you like do a 12 hour drive to get to a race in California or something, do the Normatex after. I think that'd help a ton. Yeah. And, and, you know, after a long day of work, I put those on and, and then I go out and ride the ride. Just the perceived effort on that ride is just so much lower. Oh yeah. Like a lot of people use them for recovery. I like to try to like between work and my ride, try to throw those on Mm -hmm. and it just makes riding so much. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. And it is a significant investment, but like they're awesome. And I should say too, one of the things that I love about the operation we have going right now is we are not 
sponsored by any bike companies. This is all totally editorial. Um, I will tell you good and bad things about any. So all of these products are things that I've used and I can, I can vouch for that I think are pretty good. Um, but yeah, those Normatecs. They're awesome. Seven, I think you only buy those through Normatec directly. No, um, actually you can buy them at like, they sell them at like Best Buy. Really? Yeah. That's no where way. I got mine. You bought, yours, you bought yours at Best Buy? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, hit up Best Buy. And again, $7.99, little on the pricey side. I don't think you need them. It's not necessary, but um, what's the Ferris Bueller quote? It, if you have the means, I highly recommend it. Yeah. And I think this is probably something more for older people because our circulation isn't as good. Yeah. Is, is the youth cyclist. Um, I actually got it for a non-cycling reason. I, you know, my, my circulation isn't as good as it should be in my legs. And, um, Dan's getting old guys. I'm getting old. Yeah. Dan's aging rapidly. So it, it really well. wasn't a cycling related purchase. It was just more overall health and wellness purchase, but you know, yeah, I, I'd highly recommend those. I tried to keep it to 10. There are a lot of Christmas ideas I, I had. I, I had to knock a few off the list, but uh, those are the ones I'd throw out for the most part. Um, and now we're going to transition to the much less fun and colorful half of the episode. I will say though, this is good to know. Um, and not, I don't even think even just if you're, um, you know, planning on doing a lot of USAC racing and stuff. I think this is good to know just as somebody who like enjoys cycling. I think we should value and like, it's easy to complain about USAC or UCI, but they have a hard job. You know, um, and and all of these rules and things are designed very intentionally to try to make things fair and competitive so that we have good sports. So um, worth understanding, but definitely a little dense, no? Well, it, yeah, it's just a lot of the information is a little hard to access. Because you, you had know, to go like, on kind of a scavenger hunt to I find I really did, yeah. So what kind of spurred this whole thing is I got a, a question from, um, I can't remember if it was Gabe or Oliver. I think it was Gabe. Yeah, I think I think Gabe reached out on behalf of both of them. Yeah, but. well, you know, everyone knows the twins. Those guys, just a quick shout out to them first of all. They they are just it's just so awesome to see those guys. They're you know if you ride if you drive around the Wasatch area at all during the during this the the spring, summer, and fall, you're bound to see. At least, the, the at tw- least one Gibbons. The, well, you always see them together. They're always That's together. That's true. I don't know if I've ever seen them separately. Yeah. I should say they, they are both individual human beings with their own hopes, dreams, and aspirations, but I do kind of think of them as a unit because like... Yeah, they're always together. They're always training together, and it's just kind of awesome to see how... For the longest time, they had to be the black S-Works Gibbons and the red S-Works Gibbons to me because I could never remember which was which, but... Yeah, but Gabe asked me a question. He emailed me a question and basically just wanted to know, you know, they're, they've done really well in NICA and they're interested in doing some of the, like the USA cycling national type races. And um, his question was, how do USAC races work, overall point systems, qualifying for races, USAC licenses, qualifying with a protected spot for nationals? Everything you can tell us about how to set up a USAC account slash license and plan for a successful USAC nationals focused season. It's funny because sometimes I get questions and I just answer them. And other times I see questions like that. I'm like, I'd need like a Discovery Channel series on that or something. That's it's it's really hairy. Even if you've been doing it for a while, um, this is this is a little tricky. So I think I've kind of reviewed Dan's notes a little bit and he's done a very good job of making this digestible as we can if you have specific questions please reach out and we'll try to give you answers that don't suck <laughs> yeah yeah and well and I, was, I was kind of thinking about it too you like i use an iphone if ever i have a problem with my iphone 
I always just ignore Apple's help resource thing because right. nothing it's, in it's, there is. It's always I find it in some thread somewhere. I find the answer. It's like just super some, easy to some find. Some bro on Reddit's got it all figured out. Yeah, but you know, if you go to yeah. Apple's actual help page, it's just it, it sucks. They basically tell you to turn off your phone and turn it on again. They tell you to buy a new one. That's, yeah, that's the that, that's been the consensus every time I've had a problem with my iPhone. Yeah, so you know, I think like. USAC's webpage and UCI's webpage is kind of like that too, you know, like it's really hard to find some of the answers for. Well, and it's for, funny too, because like I did that quiz a couple, it was, I don't know, last week, a couple weeks ago, where I like made up some rules and then I made up some, like I copied some real rules um, from from the UCI. Reading those rule books isn't, it's like they're written by lawyers. I, I, do, I think they actually are, because like to make sport fair and competitive when you have so many different disciplines and so many people that want to do it on like, a worldwide stage on a worldwide stage like it's and it's and again it's so easy to complain about how convoluted and everything it is but like for sport to be competitive and fun and fair there have to be and it's like you can complain you can take issue with it but do try to understand it it does kind of bug me and i've been this guy before when you have like armchair experts complaining about like USAC rules or not understanding how they work or like people giving you like bad advice for how to like hack the system or whatever. So, um, I'll let, I'll let you dive in and I'll, I'll, you know, interject questions all the time because this is all still very opaque. I haven't done very much USAC racing in the past few years. Yeah. So first of all, um, let me just say that, you know, as far as like the whole Maybird thing goes, the thing that brings me the most joy and happiness is first seeing our riders out there having fun together on their bikes. I mean, that just warms my heart like nothing else. I just love that. And and I also, am, I just love learning about how to make us healthier, faster athletes, you know, just better versions of ourselves. I love that type of stuff. I am not naturally a very good red tape kind of guy. Um, that's it's something I kind of maybe have to do out of necessity rather than I just, I mean, there are people that just kind of love red tape. I'm not that guy, you know? So, um, this has been, and I get asked questions a lot of times about, you know, about the registration process and all that stuff and, um, never really been my forte. So this has been good for me to, to understand it a little better and hopefully we'll be able to present it in a way that, makes it not too bad because it's really not that bad it's really not that complicated i'm i'm, I'm joking a little it, yeah. it's dense it's a little complicated it's not it's not too that bad at all and, and it i mean people figure it out every day and you guys are all smart so it's, it's probably less complicated than a lot of sports yeah that's true i'd, I'd imagine so, you know not too bad i think every sports has a confusing governing body but um but first of all the national race series you know you like nike it's kind of like your nike team it's pretty easy like the entire Nike team is all training and preparing for the exact same races as everyone else on the team. Yes. You know, with, with the club, the cycling club, it's different because like, you know, we could all be training for different events, different series and so forth. Um, the USAC national series that most of us do is, is just, it's usually called the pro XCT. Um, these races and and at the end of the podcast we'll go over where the locations are predicted for this year but they're in various states you know most of them are in the west um there's a few back east um let me just say it's been so much fun for me to to be able to travel with these kids to these races it's it's just a blast the kids have fun um it's really really cool to see 
how well the Utah athletes do nationally. Um, oh yeah. Utah represents Utah represents. And the, I mean, the thing is, is like Utah, Colorado and California are kind of the big three, are kind of the big three. Um, but you have kids from other States, you know, that might be kind of the Nike champion in that state that comes and, and, and they'll be able to participate. But I mean, you see kids from all over the nation and, and a lot of times from all over the world. I mean, we've yeah. seen, we've seen whole teams come from like Denmark and, you know, mm -hmm. to, to these races. It's just a super cool atmosphere. Super cool. Well, it makes you appreciate Utah too. Cause on a global scale, Utah is a good place to live as a cyclist that like, Cycling can be part of our lifestyle here in a way that it can't be everywhere. You know, especially like, as a mountain biker. Not oh yeah, oh hundred percent. I yeah. mean, cycling's pr pretty pretty broad, but like as a mountain biker, I'm like I'm sorry if you're if you're born in Des Moines, Iowa, like your cycling choices are or your mountain bike choices are limited. You know, so um, it's always kind of given me that perspective to be like grateful to live in such a cool place, and it yeah. makes me want to take care of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know the the cool thing about these races too. So the, the USAC races, um, don't be too intimidated by them because they actually have like, it's cool because you'll have like at these races, you'll have the best in the nation and sometimes the best in the world, um, come to this event, but they also have events for like more beginner and amateur type racers all at the same thing, you know? And so it is cool because you'll see like, Chris Blevins and Kate Courtney and, you know, and, and occasionally you'll even see some, you know, some like Nino Scherter did pro XCTs within the past five or six years. Yeah. So it's just kind of a cool environment. They have, you know, it, but, but they do have some opportunities for some more beginner and amateur type racers too. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a cool cycling atmosphere. It kind of just gets you pumped up and motivated and it's cool to be there. So as, as a team, what we do is we actually have a van. And in the past, you know, before COVID, we, we would almost fill up two vans to go to some of these races. Um, COVID really kind of took some of the wind out of the national racing cell a little bit, but it's starting to pick up quite a bit. Um, you know, so we have a van and we'll take the kids to these races. It's super fun. We'll usually get like a hotel that we'll stand together. Um, other families, a lot of families like to do it as a family and kind of treat it as like a family vacation. And then we'll run into them at the race and see each other there. I'd say about, about half travel with the team and the other travel as families and the other half, I would say about, um, you know, as, let me just explain real quick how the team travel works is usually, um, I open that up first to those who I know are trying to compete on the national level that, that want to, you know, that have the licenses that are, you know, that have points. And, um, I kind of open it up the team travel spots to them first. And if, you know, once, once that's exhausted, if, if there's any other open spots, I kind of open up to the rest of the team to see if anyone that hasn't done it yet wants to try it. And, um, I mean, my, I really would want the opportunity to be extended to anyone that really wants to compete on that level. You know, um, it's, it's kind of cool because you think, you know, like, you know, whoever wins that race on the, on the highest levels there, whoever wins that race that day is the best in the nation on that particular day, you know, and, 
Which isn't nothing. I yeah. mean, that's really cool. And and like I'd remind you too, like if you are a, a decent Nike racer, you're closer to the top than you realize within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true for most other sports. Like if you are your high school's best you know, like runner or basketball player, football player in the grand scheme of like the United States of America, where we live, you're, you're not that good. But in cycling, if, if you're the best, um, rider on a high school team in Utah, you're a lot closer to the, you know, to the, the, the pointy end of things than, than I think you realize. And like, it's cool that you can be so close to it all too. You know, cause like how many people go to, you know, a basketball, play a basketball game out of state and there are NBA players there. Like that, that doesn't happen. It's not how the yeah. sport works. It, like that's part of the beauty of cycling. I think it, it's a super cool opportunity. And, and, you know, my goal with traveling as a team is it, it does help. Re- it does make it a little less expensive than traveling as a family. But, um, I think it's just an awesome opportunity. And those that are putting in the work, I, I'd like to see more people that are putting in the work to do that. Now you might be wondering, are you good enough to do these types of races? Um, first of all, they have categories for total beginners. Not very many people do that. Most of the people that come to these are, are going to race on the, you know, the, the higher end of the spectrum. You know, the, the more beginner races are much less crowded, but there are those opportunities just for those that want to travel. They can do that. But the, the people that I think this is best for, I would say are, is if you're a top, I would say a top five to maybe 10 varsity racer, you would do fine at these or top JVA racer. So I do have a question really quick because I, I think this is kind of confusing. Can you explain like the relationship between USAC races, which is USA Cycling, and then UCI, which is the world governing body? Because I understand there are some races that are technically both. They're like USAC sanctioned and UCI sanctioned. Like there's the one in Puerto Rico. How does that relationship work? Okay, so this this point is very, very important to understand. Um, as Joe mentioned, you have USA Cycling. USAC. If, which if is, you, we've been calling it that. USAC. USA Cycling, which is the United States governing body of cycling. And then UCI is the more national gov- governing body of cycling. International. Yeah. That's what, sorry. And, um, but they do, you know, they, they do work together to some extent. So there are races that are just USA cycling races. And then there's other races that are also sanctioned by UCI. And the key distinction is, is the UCI level racing is basically the highest level of racing that you can do. And so, um, so th- there can be like beginner races, like USAC will offer like beginner and amateur racing. UCI racing is a step above that. It's some of it is still technically a- amateur. Okay, so it's still technically amateur, but it's very very advanced race. It's like yeah. the most. It's kind of the most advanced racing you could be doing. And there are very limited opportunities to do it. So anytime there is a race that is UCI sanctioned, like for the people who are trying to go race in Europe, for people who want to qualify for World Cups, or even for people who like, if you want to get on like the short list for the Olympic team, you have to have UCI points. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, like if you want to get signed by a pro team coming to them and saying, hey, I collected this many UCI points last year is a big deal. So um, how many, is it just Puerto Rico? No. What are the, what are the UCI Am I jumping ahead here? Yeah, I've got the whole, <laughs> and I'm actually saving that for the end because okay, I think okay. that's what everyone wants to hear. But essentially, do you understand there's that distinction? Um, yeah, so so 
UCI level racing is extremely advanced. And for most people, the only opportunity you'll ever have to race on the UCI level is as a junior. Like there's yeah. no way, no amount of money, no amount of training, no matter that I could do at my age to race on UCI level racing. But almost anybody could do a USAC race. But anybody can do a USAC race. Yeah, they have beginner, like, yeah, they have like beginner and intermediate. Like if you can complete an I-Cup, you can, there's a USAC race for you. Absolutely, yeah, anyone can do a USAC race, but yeah. So so that's kind of the distinction. If it's, if it's a UCI level sanctioned race, those that race UCI are, are it's a very competitive field. But, you know, if you're top five, maybe 10 varsity or, or JVA rider, you can actually do really well and be competitive at these races. Yeah. You'll is hold your like, own. Is there like a lower limit? Like if, if a rider came to you and was like, Hey, I was 20th in JVB, um, is USAC, is, is there any like danger of doing too much USAC racing? Is it going to be too intimidating or like, like how broad is the bubble of people that you would encourage to do USAC racing? Well, USAC racing, anyone can do, but UCI level racing, top varsity, top JVA, I think is kind of, kind of it. Kind and you have to qualify for those too, don't you? Yeah. And we'll talk all about okay, that. So I, I keep jumping ahead here. Yeah. So let's first all, you know, let's first all talk about getting a USAC license, a USA cycling license. Right. Super easy to do. Um, it used to be a use, a USAC license is a hundred bucks. And right now for junior riders, it's actually free to get a USAC license. That's new, isn't it? Because it's I had been to that pay, way for a while. I had to pay when I was a uh, junior doing yeah. USAC racing. It's been that way. I think it was kind of a COVID thing. Hmm, okay, that's or, cool. You know, and they're just trying to get more juniors racing. Um, really quick, can we explain? Maybird is technically a a USAC team club 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 yeah. and so we pay something to usac as well for that right yeah okay all right and that's where our, our insurance and stuff goes through that as mm -hmm. well okay yeah so yeah for for junior riders i think that's under 18 okay it, it's it's free so um one thing that's really important when you get your your usa cycling license um you're gonna it's gonna give you a uci number that uci number doesn't mean it's a uci license it's just kind of your ID number and your, like cycling social security number. Yeah. And that doesn't kind of, change. Does it? That is permanent, right? It should be. Yeah. And I, and I, I know they recently got a new system and they kind of changed numbers recently, but hopefully this new system sticks for a while. So a piece of advice is when you get your USAC license that you, I always take a screenshot of it, keep it in my notes on my phone. I actually keep Andrews and every, you know, and Amy's and whatever, you know, in my phone in my notes, just so you show up to a race, it's there. I kept mine in my wallet forever when I was in high school. Well, they used to, yeah. So cool. Do they even do physical cards anymore? I think you can print them off, but okay. I, I don't know. I had like a card card. So, I wonder where that went. Sorry. Carry um, on. They do a lot, like a lot of races have like, you know, if you don't have a USAC license, you can just register for a one day license, which is $15. Which is like a Utah cyclocross. If you've done one of those, I, I registered for the one day USAC license uh, for the race I did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But if you're only doing a one day license, any of your points and ranking won't, you, you know, you, it won't help with your startup position. Like you, um, you can only, they basically only, um, keep track of that. 
if you have an annual license. Um, so, so if you've had, like, if you've done a one day license, you can actually, you know, and, and then you get like an annual license, they can go back and add that to your, your license to improve your ranking. But, um, but yeah, the one day licenses won't help your call up position. Okay. So like, if you're going to do any of the pro XCTs, essentially, you should get an annual license is what you're saying, right? Well, especially because for anyone under 18, that's free and a one day license is $15. It's kind of a no brainer. Um, yeah. So, so you definitely want to get the annual license. So your ranking can be, um, applied to that license basically, or to your membership. So, so as far as UCI goes, there's not, you can't actually go buy a UCI license. To race UCI, what you have to do is you just have to upgrade your USAC license to an international license. And that's an additional $130, I believe. So, you know, if, if you paid for your USAC license, that's 100 bucks. The upgrade to international is 130 um, But again, for most juniors, they don't have to pay for the USAC license. And in the grand scheme of things, that's an amount of money that I think is is pretty fair. You know, like considering like there are people who work for USAC, you know, it's, it's a fairly large organization. Like, um, you know, if, if you're older listening to this and you want to do like USAC races, I, I think that's a fairly reasonable amount of money they're asking for. Yeah. Um, but it is only under 18, right? So once you bump up into the, the under 23 category out of juniors, you're paying, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Once you're no longer a junior. Okay. So a super important concept to understand when you're dealing with USAC and UCI racing is your racing age. And the easiest way I think of it is how old you're going to be on the last day of the year. So for instance, next year, say you're 16 next year, but you turn 17 in September, your racing age will be 17. So this, this person, they're going to a race in July and they are 16, but they're turning 17 that year. They have their racing age is 17. USAC treats them like a 17 year old. Correct. So this screws over people born at the end of the year, huh? Yeah. Like, so Andrew was born December 30th. Right. So his racing age was always, however old he was on December 31st. Right. So, but if you're born on January 2nd, then this could, especially if you're in, in the younger categories and a year of development makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. can be a, a perk, right? Yeah. It would have been nice if Andrew would have waited to have been born in January, you know, so. Okay. So for those so, of you who are expecting children, do your best to hold off through the end of the year. Make sure they're born in January to help them with USAC yeah, help later. Help them with USAC junior racing. So, so that's your racing age. Super important to understand. Um, so there's USAC age groups um, and that's typically, you know, you've got your 13, 14, and sometimes it goes younger than that, 13, 14, then the, then a 15 and 16 group, um, 17, 18 group and 19 plus group. Okay. okay. And, and those are your USAC age groups. As far as USAC age or USAC categories, there's, and we're, st- we're strictly talking about just USAC alone right now. Not UCI. Yeah, we're not really talking about UCI right we'll now. We'll touch on that in a sec. Yeah. Um, USAC categories, there's just three categories. There's category three, two, one, and then there's pro also. So I guess there's four. So within every age group, there is cat two, 17, 18. There's cat three, 19 plus. There's cat one, 15, 16. 
And then over what age there's pro? Um, that's over 19. Over 19 you get pro. Okay, so yeah. basically for adult racing. Yeah, for adult racing. Okay. Okay. So those are the categories. Now, to switch, when you, when you first get a USAC license, you're automatically a Cat 2. Okay. Okay. And then you basically elect which category you want to race in, right? Yeah, you basically will just voluntarily upgrade. Okay. And and that's just done through the website, through your account on the website. There's something you click, um, and then you you submit a race result or something, and 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 then you can get upgraded to a Cat One, which okay. you know which takes a little bit of time. You'll want to do that well, well in advance of your race. You can't do yeah. this before. It, it's at you least do that a week, over the right? winter. Yeah, do that right like okay. right now. You know. Okay. So, and do they want race results? Do they want like a letter I believe so. And this, and like not just anyone can do, it, but it's much easier than on the road, right? Yeah, yeah. The roads are pretty complicated process where you know there's, and we'll talk about some other time. It's kind of fun to, but it's a totally different thing than road categories. Okay. Um, yeah. So you submit to upgrade your categories online. Um, I, I think most of you listening will just want a cat one license period. I don't, okay. yeah. So something I think everyone listening is going to have to do. Um, there's some that are getting older that will have to upgrade to a, a pro license and you know, you just submit results. I don't think it's that hard to do. So anyhow, so that's how you upgrade your categories in USA cycling. So UCI categories, and we remember we talked about how UCI is just like kind of the cream of the crop elite type racing. Internationally sanctioned racing. Yeah. So there's there's three main categories of that. There's your junior category, which is the 17 and 18 year old racing age. Um, there's U23, which is 19 to 22 racing age. And then older than that, it's, it's elite. Elite. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So those are your UCI categories. And so again, to kind of understand the, the difference between these, there are some races in the U.S. that fall under the umbrella of USAC, and then there's some races that fall under both the umbrella of USAC and the and UCI. So for like any Pro XCT, um, the Puerto Rico race, uh, probably Sea Otter, stuff like that, that all falls under both USAC and UCI. Yeah, all the Pro XCT races that we travel to are both USAC, UCI. And that's kind of why they're a big deal. That's why we go to them. Um, you, USAC races aren't a, aren't as common in Utah as they are outside of Utah. Um, cause we've got like the cross race here, the, the Utah cyclocross is USAC. They had the I cup in Cedar city that was USAC. Um, uh, soldier hollow has fallen yeah. under different umbrellas. No, that's, over that's the years. USAC and UCI. That's USAC and UCI. Has yeah. it always been, what, weren't there as yeah. only USAC? Has that always been UCI? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Is yeah. it going to be this year too? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, right. it's always been part of the Pro XCT. Okay. Okay, so so some ra- the races that are both USAC and UCI, whenever you have a UCI race, that becomes like the, the highest division you could race there. So as far as how hard the different categories are, um, when you're... You know, the 15 and 16 year old racers, which is probably a lot of you, there is no UCI category. So 
Cat three is going to be the easiest. Cat two is going to be middle. And cat one is going to be the cream of the crop. So the tricky thing is in other divisions, there's a pro, right? But basically, or no, there's a UCI. Or there's UCI. But, but for, for these kids, it caps out at one. So that cat one race becomes a lot more competitive. Yeah. So if you're 15, 16, the cat one race would be for, you know, your your top, top varsity and it's top, as high as you can go. Top right? JVA riders. If you're a top varsity, top JVA rider, you would do cat one if you're 15, 16. Okay. If, you know, if you're more kind of mid, if you're top JVB, mid pack JVA, mid pack varsity, then you would, you would probably do a cat two, 15, 16 race. And cat, cat three, no, no one listening to this is really going to be doing a cat three, right? Cat three is yeah. basically for like, the locals who want to hop in and, and yeah. it's like super beginner, right? Exactly. So in the 17 and 18 and then 19 plus USAC categories, uh, if, if there's a UCI category there, that's going to be the cream of the crop. That's going to be the, where, you know, your top varsity and top JVA racers would, would race. And then in those divisions, cat one, is you know more manageable cat two in those type races is quite like anybody from our team traveling in that age group is probably going to want to do do cat one right okay so does that make sense so they when you like the groups that have the uci level racing it all kind of shifts a little bit so Okay. So it seems yeah. like they should just do UCI racing for that younger category. Yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, I mean, there's enough people that want to do it, but no. So anyhow, so hopefully that's clear. Um, is let's see. So there's, there's USAC ranking and the ranking determines, you know, we all know that in, in a cross country race where you start the race is absolutely critical. And, and some of these races are really big. There's like a lot of people that will enter these races. And so you really want to improve your ranking to, to be able to get a better starting position, you know, and it's similar in Nike, you know, yeah, like ranking is not just a vanity thing here. It's like a very practical, like the higher you're ranked, the higher you're going to be not allowed to place, but I'd, I'd say able to place. Yeah. Like you'd have to be a prodigy to win a race starting from the second to last row, you know? Yeah, so here's here's something that's really important to point out. If you're doing a UCI sanctioned race, they first look at your UCI points and whoever has the most UCI points is going to start up front and then then they look at USAC points next. Okay? And they'll even do that at like, and I think they do that at like most races. They'll always look at your UCI, like even nationals, they look at your UCI points first and then your USAC points next. Okay. But for the 15, 16 year olds, that's not a UCI race, they will just look at your USAC points. Okay. So if UCI points are available, they'll look at them over USAC points. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, the use the USAC ranking is it's I was I was gonna read how it's done it's it's pretty confusing but it's a ranking not points so so what they do is how they rank those is if you go to a race it's 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 based on who you race not which race you do and oh, so okay. so if yeah. someone really good shows up that's going to change how it works right 
Yeah, so they take they take the average of the top five ranked people that participate at the race to determine they call it the quality of that race. And what an aggressive thing to call it. So like no one shows up, it's a crappy race. Yes. Like okay. Yeah, so you know so the top five ranked people that show up at the rank, they take their ranking and average it, and then they also figure into the equation the average of the overall group that's racing to determine the, to determine the value of the race. So, so basically, if you go do a USAC race that has like some of the best kids in it, like five of the best kids in the nation, you're, that's going to improve your ranking a ton. Yeah, it's it's gonna like it's gonna juice your score basically, right? Like you could have the same performance, you could put the same numbers, finish in the same time, but the people who finish ahead of and around you are going to like. So is that like part of the draw? And I guess that's why they do it is because that draws people. You know, if good people come to races, more people will come to them, right? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, I think, and it just makes it fair. The interesting thing about it too, well, the nice thing about their system is actually quite clever, really, is that when you move from category to category your USAC points or your USAC ranking stays with you. Um, you know, when you, when you, if you say, if you move from a cat two to a cat three or cat one, your ranking stays with you because um, when you start racing in the higher categories, those people will, those races will be more valuable because the people you're racing have better rankings. So. Okay. So and that kind of prevents like, you know, you going to some race that no one else shows up at and getting a whole bunch of points. Like the points are going to depend on who shows it. So, yeah. I mean, it keeps it competitive, right? And fair. Yeah. And another thing to point out in, in, again, we're talking about you, USA cycling, their points aren't points. It's more of a ranking. So the lower your points, the better. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and, and basically, um, Oh, that makes excuse. Rank one is better than rank five hundred, right? Yeah. So, so they they take it's um, a rolling like out of the 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 rolling twelve months, they will take your best. I think it's your best five scores and average them, and that'll be your ranking. So this is not a system where you can like figure out a lot of stuff in your head, right? Like they're, they're running this all through a computer program, I'd assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so like, don't sweat understanding the intricacies of this system because it is yeah. deliberately the, complicated. It's, it's pretty complicated, but the thing you just have to realize is it's, um, you know, like we'll say if you, if you don't do a race, you'll have your five scores will be 600 and say you do five races and at one, you get a 200, one, you get a, 300 when you get a 500 when you they'll average those and that'll be your ranking and the lower your ranking the better and that ranking will stay with you as you move from categories you move around from different categories um you know when you do like uh usac sanctioned races including um short track short track's one of the best ways to improve your ranking quickly yeah like if you not doing a short track will hurt you yeah i mean it's just you just get like an extra race to, to, to yeah, juice your numbers. Right? To, yeah. To juice your numbers. Um, interestingly enough, actually the Utah league does is affiliated with, with USA cycling in, mm. in terms of like reporting, like your, your NICA results 
will actually get reported on your USAC license to improve your ranking. Oh, interesting. So if you could never have done uh, what we think of as a USAC race, like a pro XCT, but your call up as somebody who's done some NICA will be better than a kid from another state. Like do other states do that or is it just no, Utah? I, no, I, th I don't think all states do that, but Utah does. Okay. So if you have a USA cycling license, get with your coach and make sure that, um, that the league has your, your license number so that you're getting, you know, your, your Nike races are helping with your, your ranking. No, the Nike races aren't nearly as like impactful, impactful as the going to some of the national races, but it's not nothing. It's not nothing. And one of, one of Gabe's questions was, is can this be done retroactively? Oh, can it? It actually can. Really? Yeah. So even if you didn't have a uh, USAC license for this last season, mm -hmm. how far back does that go? I don't know, but you can you can um, you can get in touch with someone at USA Cycling, and they can when you apply for an annual license, they can put your, you know, any of your NICA results, and in you know if you did like Soldier Hollow or something too. Okay. They can kind of retroactively put that on associate that with your license so it'll improve your ranking and uh the the utah cyclocross races but, I, but cyclocross points they don't really they don't count. cross over they the used bike. to they used to cross over i remember they, that i remember they crossed over and yeah, i they don't my, anymore i did like my first ever cross race and i got a call up i'm like i've never how am i getting a call if i've never done a cross race before you know yeah they don't count so they, they do not cross over anymore okay that makes sense all right so that's kind of in a nutshell how USA cycling rankings work and as I mentioned just a few minutes ago if you're doing a UCI sanctioned race your UCI points will they'll look at those first and then they look at your USAC ranking next if you're just a 15 16 racer all they'll really look at is your USAC points uh, most of the masters type racers like the olders people racing they'll pretty much just look at your yeah, because none UCI of those guys, points. none of them have UCI points, yeah. or very few. So now as far as UCI points are concerned, it's totally different. And and it's interesting to even get, like if you do a USAC race, that race will help your USAC rankings. Just doing and finishing that race. Yeah, just doing and finishing it, it will improve your ranking. It'll, uh, you know. It'll never hurt you, Well, right? they only they only look at your top five over that 12-month oh, okay. period anyway. UCI points, it's completely different. Um as far as UCI races go, there's there's several different types there. And I'm going to read these off in the order of importance. And the more important races usually are going to give you more points and the points are going to be deeper. Because a lot of the UCI level races, only a certain amount of people actually get points. And really to even get a UCI point is a big deal, like to get one point. I, will I, change your life. I remember there was a, there was a rider on the Skyline team who who was telling us like I I got one I got a UCI point you know which is huge because like at nationals um, to qualify for and when I was going to talk about qualifying for nationals but long story short if you had a single UCI point you instantly qualified for nationals. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you were guaranteed. Yeah. Has anyone on Maybert ever had a UCI point before? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Isaac Zabriskie, I think Tate might have some. No way, that's yeah. super, that's super cool. Yeah, I, Joe might. I can't remember if, but yeah. So, getting a UCI points a big deal, and I'll kind of explain. So, UCI races have different classifications based on how important they are. So, um, 
there's the World Championship, there's World Cups, there's Pan Ams, which are like continental type races, and then there's national championships. Okay. And then you have your HCs, which do you know what that stands for? Or category? Yeah. Okay. And then and then you have C1, C2, and C3. And so so that's kind of in and I kind of listed those important of of how big of a deal they are basically in terms. So for instance, at and and I've got like a chart if anyone's interested I could send you the chart, but for instance like at a world championship like whoever gets there's there's 300 points for the top finisher and there's they go 60 deep which means the top 60 people get some points will get some points and like whoever gets 60th might only get like five and whoever gets first gets like 300 which is crazy i probably i might have had a uci point then because i got 30th when i did nationals and cat cat one so in nationals um and I'll get to nationals, but they don't okay. they don't go very deep at nationals. Okay, I was gonna say I don't think I had one, so that doesn't yeah. okay. Yeah, they don't go very deep at nationals. Um so like so like at World Cups, for instance, there's two hundred and fifty points max for whoever comes in first place of that. But they go they go sixty deep, which okay. is pretty deep. Oh, so yeah. if you're doing World Cups and stuff, you're getting gobs and gobs of points. Um like at national championships, um, there's for like the elite for like the top pro category at a national championship, there's a hundred points available to whoever comes in first, but it only goes 10 deep. Oh, okay. so like that whoever gets 10th will probably get 10 points. And then 11th gets no points. Yeah. Okay. Um, for junior, there's 40 points for whoever, win, like whoever is a junior national champion, we get 40 points, but they only go five deep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So super sparse there. Super sparse. Right. Um, so yeah, so you have the HC, the C1, the C2, the C3. You'll see, like if you're registering for a UCI race, you'll see those. And you just know that the HC has the most points, the deepest that go the deepest. And it gets less and less as you go to like a C3 race. Um, no, some races are in the... In the HC, the C1, the C2, the C3, those are really only for um, pro-level elite racers or U23. Um, a lot The races we do will also have a designation called XCO Junior Race or just XCO Junior. And if it has that designation, that means the juniors, the 17 and 18s, can race also. And those points... Um, like a lot of those races, they'll only go, they'll have 20 points available that only go like 10 deep. Or there's some, some of the XCO Junior Race Series will have 90 points to the first place winner and they'll go 25 deep. Okay. The term XCO, that's coming up for the first time. If you're not familiar, that is the style of mountain bike racing that we do. It stands for Cross Country Olympic. There's also Cross Country Eliminator, which we don't get at all here. There's Cross Country Endurance, XCE. Um, yeah, uh, just yeah, XCO, and we're saying that that's like a broad blanket term for the type of mountain bike racing that we do. So, my so I guess the point is here is that you know, if you're doing a UCI level race as a junior, a lot of these races, you know, all, pretty much all these races, the points are only going to go to the top 25 or top 20. So, if you get like 
19th, you know, if you get like 20th at this, at one of these races, you might get like one or maybe two UCI points. And honestly, I can't overemphasize how huge of a deal sprint it, for 20th place. Yeah, it is to get a UCI point. Don't bother sprinting for 21st. Well, do, but like, you know, that is, I mean, that's like a, a really, that's a real big consideration, you know? I mean, just to automatically qualify for nationals to improve your starting position and stuff like that, that's huge. Now, a bummer thing to point out is that when, once you, you know, your points as a junior or your points as a junior, once you move up to U23, because it goes junior, then U23, you have to start getting points. You start, you, you, you start, so you start from zero. Whereas in, whereas with USAC ranking, you keep, it keeps rolling. Your ranking keeps rolling and improving all the way to like uh, adulthood. We, yeah, but again, they're only ever looking at your top five over the 12 month period. Oh, okay. So not really, but yeah. So okay. it, it's always rolling over, but you don't just lose them once you, okay. But with UCI, as soon as you age out, you lose them and you start from zero. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so it, it's difficult to get these UCI points, especially because like at a lot of these races, they'll have about a hundred people racing and only 20 you'll get points, you know? So you really have to kind of shoot for that top 20 to get points, but it's awesome once you do. Um, so we, I just wanted to go over real quick. Some of the, some of the upcoming races, and these are just a little bit speculative. They don't, they're not really confirmed until the beginning of the rate, the, beginning of this like usually in january i'll know for so just sure. a little more than a rumor basically it's a little more than a rumor but so the so the first races and we don't do all of these we usually do the ones that we can drive to yeah um we haven't really flown as a team yet just because that's pretty cost prohibitive uh yeah that's yeah. one way to put it yeah. um but the the first races that are are usac slash uci races um the first two are in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, the, the first one's around the 25th of February and the second's around the 5th of March. Now, the interesting thing about the Puerto Rico races is they are, they're HC plus a junior series XCO. And so they give a lot of points. They're very deep and not a whole lot of people do them. Because it's so, ex I mean, you can't, you cannot drive to Puerto Rico, you yeah. know, like. That's I, I almost kind of have a problem with that a little bit. Like here's yeah, here's, here's some here's some awesome points for the kids who can afford to fly. Out and, here, and I think know. in previous years it's getting more and more popular. But pretty much everyone that races these Puerto Rico races gets points. Yeah, it's like yeah. showing up and finishing. You'll probably get some points. Yeah. right. I I think they're disproportionately deep on how they offer points at these races versus the 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 continental ones. You know, or well, I guess. The, yeah. Ooh, that's that's opening a can of worms. No, never mind. I didn't Puerto mean Rico it. status. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. But oof. Um. So, so yeah, and then after that, like, so Vail Lake is is the end of March. The you know around Ca the California Vail. Lake. Yeah, Vail Lake in California. Uh, I think that's usually the end of March, beginning of April. Um, that's a super fun one that we usually do go to. Um. There's Fayetteville, Arkansas. That's April 12th through third. Well, around April, around middle April. Um, Soho Bike Fest is is first part of May. Usually the first weekend in May. Um, there's one in Wisconsin, 
in the end of May and Missoula is middle mid June usually. Usually, yeah. And um and then Nationals is, you know, towards the end of July. No, Nationals probably is going to be back east this this year. Um, there was a rumor it was going to be at Killington, Vermont. That's probably not going to be there. I've also heard it might be in Wisconsin. They're, they really don't know yet. Um, so it's kind of try to alternate, like, east coast gets it a little bit, then west coast gets it a little bit, then east coast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and... And this year, and they're, they're changing how they qualify for nationals. So like last year, pretty much anyone could do nationals. But for a lot of people, it was their first national USAC right. that, type I'm, race. That, that, was my, that was my experience. My first ever USAC race was nationals in 2016 at Mammoth. And so what they did last year is they, they, if they have over a certain number of people register to race, they'll hold a qualifying race a couple of days before. And you... You know, I, I can't remember, but it seems like they only let 120 people, like the top 120 people in the qualifying race, could actually participate. The top 120. So, how many kids were doing these quality races? Like a, a lot. Like that sounds. It was great. How did they decide? Just dig off USAC points for the starting yeah. They went list off USAC, UCI, UCI, USAC points for the starting position of the qualifying race and then based on how you finished in the qualifying race was your starting position for i'm going to segue i'm going to segue you into something here so what happens when the kid with a front row start at the qualifying race breaks his chain off the line and ends up finishing last because it's a protected spots are a thing too right if he had if he had a single uci point he got to race no matter what he's in he's in which bumps other people that qualified out so you could qualify and then get bumped out by a protected rider yeah and this happened to i think that happened to jamerson he qualified right, that's right i remember he got bumped out but, by a qualified rider or protected rider wow that yeah. must suck but they're they're going to change they want to change qualifying for nationals um, and I think what they're doing this year is just requiring that you do at least one other race in the pro XCT series. That'll trim it down quite a bit if you want to compete in nationals, but if they still do have more people than 120, and I think 120 is the cutoff, they will still have a qualifying race, but they're, they're discussing how they're going to handle qualifications for nationals. I, I don't think, I think that, um, I mean, Cross country nationals is a huge deal, and it's a huge cash cow for USA Cycling, because a lot of the nationals are losing, like just dying in popularity, and very few people participate in them. Right. But, but, um, but mountain bike nationals is just getting huge, 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 and like it's too, a, like too big. Like I've heard, I've heard people say it basically finances USAC. Yeah, like that one, uh, that event, one event. Ma- cross country mountain bike nationals is their biggest revenue you source, know, probably. Huh? So I don't think they're really trying to find ways to get less people out to it. Although, I guarantee there'll be fewer people when they do it on the east coast as they do it on the west coast. You know, but gosh, wow, okay. um, you know, and and they there's rumors of of separating like gravity from cross country because right now they have gravity events. At, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's which true. is really interesting—a whole interesting conversation of itself. You get two different worlds colliding there, you know. Oh yeah, but, 
um, you get a lot different you, cultures. You get a lot sure. of guys waking up, you know, ten minutes before their race start, putting down three monsters, and then you know you've got other people where they're like waxing their legs on the start line. You well, know, so those were exaggerations. They're you know, but but yeah, hopefully that wasn't too confusing. And I really want to write something up that has a lot of these things kind of spelled out in a real simple form Some flow charts and well you know pie you know graphs. for th in th that we can have on the website as a resource but hopefully in you know should we do a a word of the day just to see if anybody's still listening i i like that we've, we've I had got one. People... how about how about rubik's cube rubik's cube is the special word of the day hit me up there's no prize you just i'll like you more because you listen to this i'm point. sure it's probably only gonna be like miles and uh, no, there are a few. Amy right. Larkin. Shout out to Amy Larkin. I've had a few. Okay. Miles and Amy Larkin are the big ones so far. Oh, good for them. Bless their hearts. Okay. So I, I'm sure we, uh, I don't know if we made that clear as mud. Hopefully this helps. More information leading to even more questions kind of a deal. Yeah. But I, I, I want to put a good resource on our, our webpage that, that can help navigate this. I mean, it's, it's not too hard. You know, everyone does figure it out eventually. So okay. but. I have one more shout out. Um, I don't I don't know your last name, but Brennan five nine nine on Instagram um, has also completed all of the words of the day so far. Oh, Brennan. He's all, yeah. He's what's, what's Brennan's last name? Pena, I think. And he does. Oh, okay. He, yeah, yeah. He's done. He does like the national races and stuff. And he's okay. He's a cool kid. Call shout, shout out to Brennan there, too. I'd like to say this team's getting very large. And my circle of acquaintances in the bike world is enormous. I'm very bad with names. If I forget your name, if I have to ask for you, if I call you the wrong name, take it personally, take it super. It's because I don't like you. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, we'll try to get some written resources here. I'm, I'm more of a visual learner hearing. It's not always adequate for me. So we'll try to make this as understandable as possible. And as always, if you have questions, you know where to send them. Okay. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, one more time, word is Rubik's Cube, and we will uh, we'll chat with you next week.